welcome to the Doing Epic Stuff podcast with your host, Mike Drohan. Together, we'll explore the stories and journeys of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Life. One day, you're making the OK Bucks as part of an advertising agency. The next, you're shoveling chicken shit. This isn't some sort of witticism, but literally the path my next guest followed in order to realize his passion for helping those who help others. And ultimately, his vision of transforming volunteering for the digital age. Matthew Boyd is the founder and CEO of Volley, an online marketplace which connects the needs of nonprofit organizations with the wants of the altruistic modern-day professional, and also potentially solves an advertiser's paradox, infinite awareness, zero awareness. Join me as I delve into the psyche of this self-made software-as-a-service soothsayer, who has revolutionized the giving game. Tasty topics include finding the resilience to keep moving forward when nobody believes in you or your idea, the next best step you can take when you realize your career may be killing you, the one thing any and every successful startup begins with. Without further ado, this is the Doing Epic Stuff podcast featuring my guest, Matthew Boyd, founder and CEO of Volley, the skilled online volunteering platform. I've always carried optimism. I get it from my mum. So I've been this eternal optimist, which is great and keeps you going, but you also need that significant amount of realism uh, as a person. And um, that helps you to develop and also, yeah. So yeah, I've always been optimistic, but... um, yeah, I just try to keep myself in the real world a little bit more because it's very easy for me to like look on the positive, keep going, push, you know, I've got good energy and that sort of thing. But I've actually found like when I live in the moment more, whether it's, you know, particularly if it's negative or challenging or whatever, I learn from that. Sometimes I've just thought about the positive and not actually experienced the negative emotions that I'm feeling. And those, you really learn from those and you develop as a human being. And it's not comfortable at the time. You might sit in that, mm. sit in that state for an hour or an evening or a day or two, but that at least keeps me in the real world and, and helps me to, yeah, develop uh, personally and professionally, I've found. Maybe we just talk about the being able to kind of bounce back from stuff that sucks and kind of develop a little bit of resilience. So yeah. How, how do you think, because any successful entrepreneur, they've got to have a thick skin. I've kind of found that's the constant theme is that they can take rejection and to a certain extent, a, mas- a little bit masochistic, like they're just willing to move yeah. forward when everyone's saying no or when they should probably stop. And it's often at that past that precipice of reason that they find that concept that that finds a bit of traction or gives them success or suddenly becomes financially viable. It's usually past that point where everyone else would have stopped that the few continue going that they find some success. So how have you, how's, how's your experience being kind of finding that and, and developing your resilience? Like how important has that been and how have you found that? Um, yeah, so in order to answer that question around resilience, it's easy in the, uh, in the first year or so, because everything's very new and very exciting, that perseverance and resilience in respect to 
growing your own business um, becomes very tough years, three, four, five, you know, where the excitement's faded a little bit. And of course, you're still passionate, but I mean, it's a lot of rejection and you feel like an absolute piece of crap at times and completely worthless and nobody respects you. Nobody believes in you. Like that's really tough. At the end of the day, sometimes the only person who believes your venture is going to be successful is you. And, you know, for that, you need some sort of superhuman qualities. Um, as I've mentioned, I am very optimistic naturally. So that's good. Um, but I don't know, there's like this balance of ego that you require as well. You know, like too much ego is bad, but but enough ego to sort of back yourself and believe in what you're going to do is is really important. But I, I said to myself with Volley, you know, we started in 2016, launched the platform late that year and, you know, been sort of growing ever since. And at the end of the day, no matter whether people are saying good things or bad things, you think about your core audience, you know, and our core audience were wannabe change makers, skilled volunteers. Do they have a need for a service like Volley? And they did. We continue to get that positive feedback. And then on the other side of the marketplace, do charities and nonprofits require uh, a platform to connect with skilled professionals to help grow their businesses, their, their, their operations? Yes, they do. So one of our biggest problems was we had no money to pump into marketing. So we couldn't exactly tell the world overnight or tell Australia even. So we just continued to do what we did at a sort of grassroots level. And yeah, just remind myself and, and the team to remind ourselves that there is a need for this. Nobody else, nobody else is doing this. This will make a positive difference. And, you know, there, there are people out there that want to use a service like this. So I think that is what really kept us going and keeping on top of the impact numbers. Even when we felt like we were getting nowhere, all of a sudden we're like, oh, we've just seen our 200th project completed through the platform. Or, oh, we've, we've just um, uh, ticked over the $1 million mark in terms of the money we've saved charities today. Because sometimes you don't feel like you're doing anything. But if you really keep track of those metrics, they, they keep you pushing forward as well. Right. So having those kind of moments where you're seeing sort of a quantifiable difference yeah. for a, a positive change. And you can kind of reference those when things are really difficult uh, is, is really critically important to staying, staying the path, I think. And I, I think that's probably, yeah, that, that's a really cool thing, I think, about this platform. And maybe I'll get you to explain it a little bit more for people who've never heard of it. So yeah, maybe just give me a bit of a rundown, Matt, on how the volley concept came about and how you brought it to fruition. So where did you, where did you get this idea from, and and what does this thing do? Yeah, sure. Well, we were talking earlier about unfulfilled past roles, you know, uh, and so I'm from a marketing background, and I've I've done a, a lot of work in that space, and I was I was really confused um, around the age of thirty, late twenties, as I was. And turning 30 because I believed I was doing everything that I wanted to do like went back when I was at uni thinking what sort of job I'd want to working work in I did I did some pretty cool stuff you know I was um, running big um, sport uh, sponsorships with with some uh, with an AFL club and a cricket team and that sort of thing and you know I was going to the MCG every weekend and running 
halftime activations and um, running around with cameras around Melbourne, like filming and doing promotional videos and um, part of multi-million dollar above the line advertising campaigns, you know, shooting TV ads and all that kind of stuff. And so this is what I thought <clears throat> I always wanted to do. But um, I, was, I wasn't fulfilled. And if I was honest with myself, I, I wasn't happy with what I was doing. And so I started to ask myself quite a few hard questions around that. Um, and I just thought, well, I just want to do something that makes me feel good. And, you know, that seems like it's making a difference or hopefully does make a difference. And I saw volunteering as an avenue for that. And I started in 2014. And for the next year or so, I volunteered a lot and I just gave up my weekends and some weekday evenings. I was doing all sorts. So I was going to the Royal, Royal Children's Hospital with my dogs. And we were doing pet therapy. We were visiting kids in wards. Um, I was going to Edgar's Mission, which is an animal sanctuary an hour north of Melbourne, and just being a farmhand, just cleaning out chicken coops and, um, you know, feeding uh, lambs in, in the fields and, um, yeah, doing all sorts of stuff like that. Just cleaning, shoveling a lot of shit, really. Um, <laughs> but it was nice to be out in nature, even though it did. It smelled like poo absolutely everywhere. Um, and then I did other stuff. I was like, um, I would turn up on Sunday mornings and sort of man a, a marquee. Um, and one of the organizations was combating um, canned hunting in Africa. And this uh, founder, she was very passionate about rescuing lions and amazing stuff. Um, but with each of these, it was really a case. I mean, some of them were great experiences. Going to the Royal Children's Hospital was great, but I would turn up for the day and just be there and essentially put on the volunteer t-shirt. And um, I thought to myself, I've got unique skills to offer and, and, and I wanna be able to, to connect with the organization with the charities in this particular way. Um, and when I tried to do that, I found it very, very hard to get started. You know, I would contact these charities and say, oh, do you need help with your marketing? Can I help you with business development? And, new fundraising strategies, whatever it might be. And uh, I just came up against brick walls and it just blew my mind because I thought I'm offering to provide my skills. I'm not asking for any money in return. But the, the, these charity organisations, they just weren't really set up for, for such a, <laughs> a request. And that really confused me. And so that led me to do a lot of research, a lot of secondary research, Googling away for months and months and months around the skilled volunteering space and the charity space as a whole and who volunteers in Australia. And what I found was that older generations are volunteering at twice the rate of younger generations, you know, by younger generations, I'd say like, you know, 20 to sort of 40 year olds. Um, and that's typically because volunteering is hard to get started with. There's a lot of forms to fill out and um, working with children checks and that sort of stuff. Um, and when I looked at the research around these younger generations and their desire to want to change the world, it's huge. Um, but they don't volunteer due to a perceived lack of time and a lack of flexibility with traditional volunteering. And they just don't really know how to get started. And so this story of how Volley came about could go on for, you know, another 10, 15 minutes. But essentially, I realized there's a problem that like, you know, any good business, you know, you start with a problem and, and your business is supposed to provide the solution to either 
um, a problem that's not being addressed at all or a problem that's not being addressed well enough by existing solutions, essentially, who would be your competitors. But no one was really looking at online volunteering and a way for people to be able to connect their skills with with projects remotely. And so so that's that's what I decided to build. And yeah, essentially, Volley is it's a way of you, you jump on the platform within four clicks, you've connected with a passion project and um, you never need to leave your house or your bed or your couch if you want. Or you can just work on this project on the go from your favorite cafe or if you go on holiday you're going on holiday in two three weeks it doesn't matter you know if you're developing a marketing strategy for make a wish or updating a website for greenpeace you can do these things remotely you can video call with the charities and communicate through the platform and so yeah with volley we're just trying to bring the way in which people give back into um you know the 21st century yeah look it it, <clears throat> it works really beautifully i feel because it's it's a it is solving a need. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, the way we um, make money is by working with businesses and universities. We white label our technology and we've got all this impact tracking um, set up for, for such accounts. Uh, and so for us now, we're at a point where we've uh, generated about $4 million of savings to the current 850 charities on the platform um, we've seen thousands of projects completed and hundreds of thousands of skilled volunteering hours. So all the impact's really strong. So we obviously need to ensure we remain sustainable as a business. And <clears throat> for us to be able to do that, it's partnering with businesses and unis to bring in that revenue and provide them with a lot of value in terms of connecting their people, whether it's staff or students, with meaningful opportunities to make a difference, which either keep them satisfied in their roles moving forward or in the um with the example of students give them that vital work experience to help them get job ready so we um we've partnered with um a number of universities now we've got um a number of new corporate partners coming on board over the next few months so that's really exciting for us because it grows our talent pool it means that all of those projects that charities not for profits and social enterprises are posting will connect with someone really fantastic um, and yeah, as I say, we, we remain sustainable and, and can grow as a business. So, so that's the big focus. So um, yeah, a few more of those big unis in Australia to come on board in the next few months is exciting for us. And uh, we'd like to look at many more um, through 2021. And obviously with, with COVID and isolation and so on, which hopefully we're past, um, Volley's been more relevant than ever through 2020. But, you know, even just, even if we have all the freedoms to go wherever we want, the convenience of being able to work on these projects um, around, you know, your busy personal professional schedule, um, I believe is, you know, becoming increasingly more relevant to people. Volley was a little bit ahead of the curve in terms of the fact that you'd created a platform that allows people to be totally remote to use it. So I could be offer, offering the same services while sitting on a beach in Bali as I could be sitting in my room in Ivanhoe. Uh, and that whole remote working, uh, I guess, shift, that, that you'd already kind of geared the platform for that. Australia was far from early adopting in that sort of mentality. I think corporate Australia, the last thing they wanted to do was put up their hand and say, hey, let's decentralize our workforce and let everyone work remotely. There's a lot of perceived security and everyone sitting in the same rooms, going to the same office jobs. Then COVID hits and 
there's this massive push that corporate Australia gets because it doesn't, you no longer can decide. Everyone is just suddenly remote and your platform was already ahead of that curve. So I guess I'm kind of interested to see, did, did that, did this year have a major impact on usership of the platform? Did it, did it change it significantly? And was that like a big boost or, or what kind of happened? Yeah, it was a big boost for sure. It felt like, so, you know, this year for Volley is year four of operation. We're going into year five now. I felt like I was banging my head up against the wall at times, you know, with Volley. <laughs> it, made, it made so much sense to me through 2017, 2018, yeah. 2019. But it was only really in 2020 where everyone was like, oh, yeah, this makes sense. And obviously it was forced by covid um, we were growing. We were we were becoming increasingly um, more popular, and our you know our engagement was was going up and up. But yeah, it, it really spiked this year. Uh, we heard from some massive universities, some massive like global businesses this year, um, who just got in touch. You know, for for the years prior, it was us doing a lot of outbound, but more and more organisations, as well as just want to be change makers. Um, and charities have been signing up and using the platform, which has been really great to see because it does make so much sense. I distinctly remember with the last role I was in before I quit and started Volley, it wasn't a huge commute. Um, I, I went from um, St Kilda to Hawthorne and it's probably only 15 or 20 Ks, but because you're going through pretty densely populated areas and you've got the school traffic and the morning traffic and so on. My morning commute would take about an hour and it'd probably take about an hour on the way home as well. And I just thought to myself so many times when I was sitting in the car, why am I driving to a physical place to work under a roof with all these different people when I can do this remotely? You know, um, I've got my laptop, I've got my internet connection, I can communicate with my team. I didn't understand it. I didn't understand why I was losing two hours every day. And I think a lot of people feel that way. And I think COVID has taught us it's a balance. I think isolation is terrible for mental health. You know, we are social beings. It is one of the, the, the core requirements that us as, as human beings need. We need that social inter interaction. So there, there's a balance. So you can go to the office a couple of days a week. That's fine. But at least more flexible working and being able to just sort of get up and you know, get started, you could actually get started an hour earlier, potentially, you know, if you're working from home. So I, I knew about all of this. And I very much believed in this, you know, what the future of the workforce looked like. And so yeah, we were a few years ahead with volley. Um, there was a lot of pushback early on, even from charities, you know, um, and we knew we had the stats around charities needing to connect with skilled professionals more, but it was new, and it was different. And we got pushback from charities saying things like, what do you mean that um, copywriter can't come to our office in North Melbourne to work on this project. How does that work remotely? And yeah, there's a lot of worry around risk. And um, as you were talking about with decentralization, you know, people, there is this perceived, hmm, something could go wrong with that. I'd much rather control everything under one roof. But yeah, well, I, I sort of, I, I really believe that the workforce was changing. We're, we're seeing that now. And um, to be honest, we would have picked up probably another six or seven universities this year had it not been for the fact that, you know, financially they've been in a very, very tough place. The need for volley has been there, but they've, um, yeah, they've been struggling financially. So hopefully over the next year or so, we'll be able to connect more students with, with our charity projects. 
Yeah, I'm sure that that industry will bounce back stronger than ever. And I think it's from what limited amount I understand of it, they're already pivoting so significantly to accommodate to both the change in traditional educational requirements and pathways needing to be faster and more agile, um, but also the remote learning, um, which to me, like, segue, geez, I feel I feel bad for the kids this year and not being able to catch up with your mates at uni. Like I see that a lot of the courses being offered are full-time online, things like that, which that, that's a tricky one because so much of the the joy of, of that whole experience is, has traditionally been in person, but I'm sure it will kind of just go one way and come back and, and kind of pull together. So yeah, it's been, it's been interesting. I've, I've spoken to hundreds of students this year, year one students are none the wiser, um, but year two students and onwards are, oh, they're just in a world of pain with it, you know, particularly at that age. Cause as you say, it's, it's the, the, the socializing of university, it develops you so much personally as well as mm. professionally. And that's tough. That's really, really tough. Um, so yeah, the unis they'll they'll start to get back to normal. I'm I'm hearing about early next year unis that you know they're they're bringing back the students slowly and prioritizing certain courses which are more necessary to be physical and on campus. Um, and yeah, they'll they'll do the whole social distancing and maybe they'll fill classrooms to sort of twenty percent initially and then they'll they'll grow from there. But yeah, it's 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 a real shame for those students. Mm, mm. Now, Matt, you're involved in a few other uh, organizations, a number of them, actually. I remember you mentioning Duo Duo, Nature yeah. Boss. Um, can you just give me a little bit of an overview about what, what's involved in those and your role in those? Yeah, yeah. So I do a few different things now. And I'm, I'm you know, I think it's one of the most exciting things about uh, going on this journey with Volley. And it's interesting how when you pursue one particular passion project one particular venture put yourself out there you know be prepared to to fail and and lose all self-confidence and everything that goes along with that you do put yourself in a position um, and open yourself up to new opportunities people do see what you've done um one of the um one of my highlights of 2020 was um being appointed on the jane goodall institute australia board so that's uh, the Jane that's a, Goodall. Yeah, yeah. The, the little, woman involved with the with the living with the apes and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's it. With the um, chimps and and um, she was the the poster girl on National Geo uh, National Geographic many years ago. Um, I've always uh, had a huge amount of respect for Jane. She's she's been a bit of a, a role model for me. I saw her speak a few years ago and. Um, yeah, just fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. And uh, this, yeah, this opportunity popped up. And to be honest, I was I was already busy enough, but I, I didn't want to pass up on the opportunity. Um, and I was very fortunate to, to be appointed um, on that board. Um, and so that's one of um, the other things I'm doing. They're a really great board. Um, I've sat on a few boards in the past and they've been good experiences, but I must say that with the Jane Goodall experience, it is a great experience. They are so organized. They are such a passionate bunch. You know, sometimes it, it feels like a paid role because it's so demanding, but that's mm. just because this organization is on a mission to make this planet a better place 
for people, animals, and just generally to protect the environment. And they have this very strong focus on being um, that mission being youth led. So they believe that the greatest change will come from young people. And we're talking young professionals, but we're also talking middle school and high school kids, which I love, you know, because I think young people have this, this, they have this naivety, but they also have this freedom of thought and this, this drive. And they're not, they're, they're, they're not sort of too tarnished by the world or not really tarnished at all. And by the naysayers and so on. So I, I think that's incredible, that, that mission. And uh, I'm doing a few things there, but one of the main projects I'm, I'm spearheading is to bring their roots and shoots initiative um, into the digital age. So roots and shoots is essentially a program to harness and nurture the ideas of young people who might have all these different projects in mind. They might want to um, plant a thousand trees in 2021 or save the turtles or um, clean plastic from the oceans. All these very specific projects are, are supported by Jane Goodall, um, by the Jane Goodall Institute of Australia. And so I've understood that program and it's very manual at the moment and that prevents scale, um, prevents the program from reaching a large number of people, a large number of young people. And so I'm looking at developing a new technology solution to take these um, young change makers through um, to automate certain processes and allow them to access funding more easily. So, so that's one particular project um, I'm really excited about. Um, I work with Duo Duo Project, who are based in California. They are an animal welfare charity. Um, they address one of the great horrors in this world, which is the dog meat trade in China. Um, the dog meat trade takes place in other parts of Asia. It's not just China. It takes place in um, uh, Korea, I believe, north and south, um, uh, it takes place in Vietnam, it takes place in Indonesia and so on. But it, it's, it's a horrendous um, industry, you know, in Australia and most Western countries, all Western countries, we love our dogs, but over there, um, people eat them um, without going into too much gruesome detail. And it's absolutely horrendous. And Duo Duo projects are on a mission to end the dog meat trade. Um, we are doing that again. It's kind of focusing on young people, older generations are sort of, you know, this, this horrible, uh, incredibly dangerous word tradition, um, is, uh, is the reason so many older generations still consume dogs. Uh, young people are starting to see dogs as the companion animals and the, the wonderful creatures that they are. Uh, and so we are very much focusing on young people um to educate around just how wonderful dogs are and they should be part of the family not part of um the uh not part of dinner uh currently part of the menu yeah exactly um with that particular project we're currently building a youth center in uh mudanjang which is uh, a a province of china a lot of people have heard of yulin and the yulin dog meat festival it, it kind of takes off around social media and I think that's one of the, the great things about Facebook and, and other social media platforms. Um, they do build that awareness uh, and so a lot of people know about Yulin. Mudanjiang is the second largest city in terms of dog meat consumption in China. So we're building a youth centre for, for young people to go to, to read, to exercise, to socialise and so on, just hang out. I mean Mudanjiang is a 
a, a, a very poor area, uh, low, low socioeconomic city. Um, so we're giving young people a place to just develop in all these different ways. And at the same time, we're going to have dogs around and we're going to be just highlighting, not shoving it down their throats, but just highlighting, highlighting to them how wonderful dogs are. We expect to get around 3,000 young people through this centre every year. The ripple effect that that can have, young people going home and maybe seeing granddad um, or hearing what granddad's views are about the dog meat trade or seeing certain, you know, behaviours and, and looking to change those. So um, that's, that's a project I'm very, very passionate about. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're coming on pretty strongly there. So, um, yeah, they're, they're two initiatives. Um, I've got a business going uh, uh, live next year, which um, probably talk about another time. But that's, um, yeah, that's, that's Nature Boss. Um, and what else do I do? I sit on the board at RMIT, which is not so much a social impact role, but, um, you know, uh, it's a great, in, in a way still, still very much, uh, involved in the future and in, uh, I suppose anything to do with kind of younger people and facility and facilities and institutions that are involved in their education is yeah inherently going to be about the future and improving the future so it feels yeah. like that's definitely uh that's definitely your wheelhouse <laughs> it's yeah. like wanting to affect positive change is is you know that's your territory and somewhere that you seem very comfortable playing and, and it's it seems to be aligned with your preferred journey at this point in time which is which is really cool yeah, I was brought onto the RMIT board um, because of my, you know, uh, social enterprise, social impact experience. They want to channel that more into the internships available for um, for students. So, um, yeah, that's uh, that's a positive thing. And then I suppose other things that I do, I run I run social impact events. I run like the Social Impact Forum, which is an annual event that attracts anywhere from sort of two hundred and fifty to five hundred change makers. Get a lot of inspiring speakers. Uh, I run social impact meetups as well, like coffee mornings. So, yeah, there's a there's a few things going on, and um, you know, I'm I'm proud of all all the different projects I've got going on. That that's I mean, any one of those is enough to to cause extreme amounts of stress and a lot of work to to keep the to keep across it. So, I guess my preliminary question is. How do you stop yourself from getting burned out, Matt? I've, I have probably burned out 12 times, roughly. <laughs> I think it's around a dozen times. My answer is I don't. <laughs> well, I used to, oh my God. Like I, I would burn out every two to three months because I would just, I would treat my body like this vehicle, which I just, you know, full of fuel at the end of the day and I just run it empty every single day literally stop each day when I cannot do any more you know I cannot focus on the laptop screen or I'm fading in a particular meeting or whatever and that was just really detrimental and what I've learned over the years is to respect myself so much more because you can't just wake up and you're refueled and you go again you know you are slowly running yourself into the ground and I've also learned to you know I was almost working for the sake of working uh, in the early days. I'd work, I'd, I'd be very productive, but sometimes I'd just keep working because it felt like, well, I've, you know, if I put in another hour or two, then that's going to be good for the business. But 
in fact, if you put in a good eight, eight hour day, it's better than, I believe, better than sort of doing a, you know, 13, 14 hour day just for the sake of it. You know, if you have a really productive eight hours and you achieve everything you want to achieve in that day, then um, I think it can actually be better for you. So I, a lot, that and along with just just knowing how to do things a lot quicker, you know, setting up mm. setting up a, an email marketing campaign in the early days would take me hours and hours. And now I can do it in, you know, under sort of 30 minutes. And, and you know, if you're doing a big sales reach out, you use particular software and, and tools which streamline it so it isn't so manual. So there's there's 101 different tips like that, you know, and I just know now and when you're in the early stages with your first venture as an entrepreneur, there's a lot of feeling around in the dark, but um, you do learn a lot and it's a bit of a trial by fire. And so now, despite all of those different projects are going on, I've, I've got a good work-life balance and, you know, the idea in the past of like, well, you know, before I start working today, I'm just going to go to the gym or I'm going to go for a bike ride or I'm going to go to this, my favorite cafe, you know, just to have something to eat before I get started, that would have just sent off alarm bells to me, like, what? And you're going to lose that? <laughs> you're going to lose an hour or two hours from the day. But it's just, there's got to be this balance because you end up very sad, despite, even if your business is growing and going really well, like you're not, you're not happy personally, you know, uh, as, as a human being, or at least you're not fulfilled in ways, you know, that perhaps you're neglecting. So, yeah, I've got better balance these days. It's that age-old kind of filling your cup a little bit before filling it with somebody else's. Is you're going to do your best work if you're feeling good and sleeping well and not totally shattered. Uh, yeah. And yeah, I, I can definitely, I can definitely, I've definitely felt the impact of going too hard for too long and seeing the kind of <laughs> diminishing rate of return despite your best efforts. And I think for a lot of people that understanding how to keep the balance takes can for some people has never learned, right? Like I've, I've worked and have recently worked with people who've never quite managed to get that balance right. And are always trying to catch up because of the massive workload. But I think, yeah, a really, a really important thing to learn and everyone's kind of difference and what they need to kind of get that to top up the well of creativity and how much space they need each day to have that nice special breakfast or to hit exercise, which I believe you're a pretty big advocate of exercising yourself. Um, yeah. So yeah, that I get it. That's, that's important. So with all these things that can, that are on your plate and I can only imagine the more things you're involved with, the more people want to get you involved with other new things because your, your brand is getting bigger and your network's getting bigger. How do you, maintain what you feel is the right path like how, what's your kind of north star when when things opportunities arise as they constantly are how do you manage to kind of pick and choose the what you feel are the right ones to proceed with or the ones that you go mm, maybe i just won't give this my time and i'm just going to keep focusing on what i've got well my biggest problem with that was I, whenever I'd have someone reach out to me on LinkedIn or send me an email or meet me at an, an event and say, yeah, let's, let's catch up. Let's grab coffee. Let's talk about this. I always had this FOMO uh, sort of alarm go off in my head. Like if I don't catch up with this person, 
I could be missing an opportunity or, you know, and, and it's true to some extent that there's, there's always, you know, you, there's something that can come from a coffee catch up with a random person, but sometimes there's not, you know, you might potentially catch up with someone and realize, oh, they actually sit uh, on the board of um, a big bank and that might lead to a, a sale for your business or whatever. And so because of that, I would never turn down a catch up with someone or go to an event, you know, like years ago, I was going to two, three events every week. Um, so out of, you know, your four or five nights during the week, I'm going to three events and you're there till sort of nine, 10 o'clock and then you're up early. And I just, to answer your question, you can't think all oh, every single day, there's an, there could be an opportunity down every, down every path with every coffee catch up. Now I'm very much, of the opinion that if it doesn't, if it isn't something I personally want to do, like it would make me happy to catch up with this person. It's, it aligns with my beliefs and my values, or if it doesn't bring um, uh, money into the business or, or at least, you know, um, uh, something that'll uh, allow us to amplify our impact, then I don't bother with the catch up. Like I just say no a lot more respect, respectively, uh, respectfully. Um, just because you you are only one person, and uh, and and you just need to say to yourself that you know you you've got to have confidence in what you're doing, and you don't need to rely on other people or opportunities that that are just you know gonna gonna run you all around the city. Or sometimes you know I was sometimes flying like into Sydney for the day just for one potential opportunity, and I'd be flying back in the evening thinking like it was a good day, but has it really done anything for me or for the business? No. So yeah, I think it's just having that awareness um, and just, just knowing that the path you're on is going to generate some really exciting stuff for you. And, and you don't need to be everywhere for everyone because it, yeah, it just, it just, it just runs you, runs you out of energy and, uh, and just, just distracts you, I think some of the time as well. Yeah, I get it. And, and so you have, let's say, in moments of uncertainty, because I guess you're at the helm a lot of the time, especially with Volley, where you're with the founder and the decision-making process, a lot of the time, the ultimate decision I imagine would come down to you. Do you have uh, a process to kind of navigate those decisions or how have you kind of, I guess, refined and improved that process? And do you have like a sounding board of other people that you, that you lean on? How does that work? Well, I hate to micromanage people and I think people generally hate to be micromanaged. Um, so <laughs> we've got a small team at Volley, um, but a great team of people. And I just spend a lot of time up front with them, uh, training, empowering, uh, and, and you know, giving them enough confidence to make those decisions. Certain decisions need to come to me, but generally... You know, and if they come to me with a decision once and, and I say, okay, well, this is what we should do. And just, just moving forward, you know, I'm, 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 I back you to, to make that decision and you don't need to come to me anymore. Because, yeah, there was, there was a time where everything came through me, every decision, every approval, every question. And it's just, it's exhausting because you're trying to run your own, you know, your own position in the organisation and yeah, it's just, you're just getting distracted and your head's sort of, you know, just uh, all over the place. So 
to answer that question, I just think you just need to empower other people to make those um, to make those decisions, and uh, and that way, you know, less will flow through you, and uh, and you can get on with your role more. So this kind of segues across into into tribe, and I I guess your especially the volley platform. There's a lot of people behind the scenes helping to administer and manage that particular business. So I guess how important has tribe been to you and, and, and how have you kind of built your tribe of people, not just for that platform, but for more broadly? Mm. Yeah, there's, there's a very small team behind Volley, uh, much smaller than people realize. Uh, and really, if you have, you know, four or five really exceptional people, um, they can arguably achieve more than a team of sort of 10, 15, maybe even 20 at times, just because you're all very much on the same wavelength and, and you know, there's less bureaucracy, you know, you don't have the sort of meetings about meetings uh, in the startup world that you do in the corporate world. You know, the number of meetings that I would sit down and have and just think like, this is absolutely nothing to do with me this meeting i don't need to be in this meeting i don't know why i don't know why i'm here that's an hour of my day gone and now i've got to rush back uh, i've got to rush to that next um uh appointment that i have or the 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 strategy session whatever it is and yeah it's you, you infuriating yeah it is it's a massive waste of time and it's a waste of the the company's money i think sometimes when that happens you you trim the fat in um you know in the in the startup world you just focus on what is absolutely essential at this point in time and yeah you just have a few good people around you to um to be to be running things in that respect i've found these people sometimes it's a bit of trial and error uh sometimes you know, interns can be fantastic volley of uh, we've had a lot of interns uh, of that two or three have become like ongoing um, key people within our organization. Some interns weren't particularly useful. Some were okay. Um, we always tried to nurture each of them to, to be great within the organization or get everything they wanted out of it. But yeah, you just find those people and you're just like, oh my God, that person, we, if we bring that person in to run sales or to run marketing, it's just, it's just going to make the world a difference for us. So those few good people you find, you, you hang around with, you meet people at events, you know, it's, there's 101 or a million and one sort of digital agencies um, and, and web developers and so on. But when you find that team that you trust with every update you're going to make, and it's just easy to brief in and so on, um, it just makes your life so much easier. So yeah, you will, you will kiss a lot of frogs to before you sort of find <laughs> the, uh, the, 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 the team, you know, like the digital team or the marketing manager or the sales guy or whoever it might be. But you, you know, when you found them, you know, you just think like, well, just, we could not run things in this business without them. So, uh, yeah, it's just a lot of trial and error. It very, very, very rarely happens where you're like, hmm, I'm going to try this person. That person's absolutely amazing and sticks around in the business for, for many years to come. <laughs> yeah, you just, it, it's a lot of trial and error to find, you know, these incredible people that, that help you to build your business. What, what do you think separates like an okay employee or colleague from, to, from a great employee or colleague? Someone who let's say, for example, an intern, 
get a broad range of different interns. What, what makes that special intern stand out in terms of how they work with you or, or the services they provide? I think more than the, the, the talent they already possess, it's actually the drive and the self-motivation. You know, people can learn, and I've, I've worked with fantastic people who started off with, they're okay, but they're so driven and motivated and, and um, proactive. they're just hungry and they just want to go that's that's the most important thing you know i don't Mm. think before you know around micromanagement nobody should need to be micromanaged you know we should all be self-motivated enough within our roles to um to do a great job and we're all going to fail and i understand that you know as well as anyone that you know yeah you're going to make mistakes that's okay you know we, we learn from them what what can we do better moving forward so it's just that appetite it's just when i've worked with those people who first thing in the morning okay so this is this is what's on my um, list for today one two three four five um how does that sound to you i was also thinking about reaching out to these guys because i think there might be some sort of partnership opportunity there and they're just you know they're doing that sort of thinking that that, that you would yourself so that's just so important because anybody can learn and develop their skills, but you just got to be hungry. Yeah. That, that, um, that energy creates more energy, doesn't it? You you kind of, especially if you're someone who's, who's, you know, making difficult decisions and and working in a, you know, kind of paving a way, paving a new way every day that you work in a, in a startup or a new business. Uh, Yeah. Having, having those people who are really keen to just, want to do things and to put their hand up and proactivity, as you said, I, I, that's been my own experience as well, is, is regardless of their level of skill, that enthusiasm is such an asset. And I think I've, that's why uh, the roots and shoots concept you were talking about before, the Jane Goodall, that you know, encouraging young people to be enthusiastic and not to feel like a big idea is too hard to execute on. So I just, I need to think at a certain level yeah, embracing that blue sky sort of thinking is is so powerful and, and such a good mission. So I really love that one. I can see uh, the immediate application and that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's huge. It's absolutely huge. Um, yeah, we've got to dream and we've got to think big. But then, you know, we've also got to be resilient and realistic. I think, you know, not to continue to bag the corporate world, but what I love so much about the startup space versus the the corporate space is the um the embracement of failure and that it is an inevitable part of growth you know failing uh within a a large organization you can lose your job whereas you know failing within the startup world essentially means you're trying and pushing the boundaries and i just think it's unrealistic within the the big corporate space that you know failure is just um just it's just so it's just so negative. People are just that it it can just be so detrimental. Um, I love I love the boundaries that are pushed within the the startup space and you know the the appetite to to innovate and make things um, better. Do you personally, uh, Matt? Can you? I'm just putting you on the spot a bit, but do you have a a personal favorite failure of your own? something that you that didn't go quite right but you there was a silver lining out of it and you took some good out of it oh there'd be there'd be a lot um (laughs) on the spot i don't know um let me think 
I'll give you a quick one of mine. I, I ran a, I, I did a, a digital agency startup uh, around 2011 and I ran that for about four years, but ultimately kind of ran it into the ground uh, because my team of, of remote workers were basically, I hadn't structured it well enough for myself to make money, to make things sustainable long-term. Did a lot of good projects, leveled up a number of times in so many different ways, learned so much from it, but ultimately it was balls up. And that was, that was probably for me, like a, a good failure, I think at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, yeah. They've, they've, as I say, a lot of failures. I'm not, you know, struggling because I'm like, Hmm, when did I fail? You know, I've failed many, <laughs> many times with volley. I, I suppose one, one failure, um, with volley, one of the larger ones, which in hindsight, you know, if we had done things differently, we probably would have gotten to, well, probably this point now uh, a lot quicker, but we originally with volley. So our pricing model, we, you know, we had the original marketplace of just change makers and charities. We didn't really have a corporate offering at launch. And so we thought, well, how are we going to generate revenue? Well, we'll, we'll, uh, have charities pay a small fee um, and and get a huge amount of value from the platform. And originally we launched with a subscription model for charities where you could have a basic $149 a month package or a, a more advanced, I think it was like 250, something like that, um, dollars a month. And with the 129, you could post up to five projects and with the like $250 a month package, um, you could post up to, I think, eight projects. And you got all this support, like, you know, personal account manager and all of that. And, you know, looking back, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a huge amount of money for any business, but particularly a charity. I mean, I, you know, my zero subscription as, as one example costs me, you know, half that, like half the basic package. And that's, that's a global uh, software company. So we were, we were priced very badly there. Um, and, you know, when people heard like, oh, you charge charities and, you know, it seemed so terrible, but, you know, we knew that every project that was completed through Volley was saving them at least a thousand dollars, sometimes more. So, you know, there's that, there's that sort of perspective on it of, well, okay, you're spending say $150 a month, but you're actually saving $5,000, but it didn't work. It, it failed massively. And then we moved to a cost, uh, a paper project model um, where it was like $49 for one project, 79 for two, 99 for three, or $149 for five projects, which is kind of similar to, to what we were doing previously, but just kind of broken up and given more choice there. Mm, a little bit more digestible on the lower tier as well. Yeah, exactly. And again, we emphasize you're going to save like at least $1,000 a project. You know, you post a website update project, you buy a $49 project on Volley. This web developer is going to save you thousands of dollars. Um, but it was just it was just really challenging. When charities were paying, they were the demands and the the, the requests we had, you know, it just stretched our team. And and still we had the problem of, you know, we were charging charities, which I never felt comfortable about. Um, and so ultimately with the new Volley platform, Volley 2.0, that went live August um, this year, we made it completely free for charities. We really built in that corporate offering. Um, and, you know, that was the main revenue stream. 
and projects jumped. I mean, average projects on volley, which is a marketplace, you know, any marketplace, you want a lot of choice. And for the first few years, we struggled. We had an average of, at times, 20 or 25 different impact projects on there. Each one fantastic, but still, you go to a marketplace and you're like, 25 opportunities, that's terrible. That There is nowhere near enough choice. With the paper project, we got up to sort of like 40, 50 odd projects. But honestly, like not having enough projects on volley kept me up at night for more nights than I care to remember. <laughs> as soon as we switched to free, the number of projects listed on the platform grew and grew. We've now got over like 330 projects live on the platform. It continues to grow. Um, and it's just a it's just a big lesson for me. You know, I and I always knew it was best to just make it free. But then hindsight's a bitch in that, yeah, okay, we could have developed this corporate offering, but we didn't know really about the corporate offering until we sort of went on this journey. So yeah, that was just, you know, it was years of um, just just anxiety for me around not having enough projects on the platform. And, I, and we should have just been free from day one. Um, so that's that's a failure, but something that, you know, I learned and the team learned over time. Awesome. Matthew, I'm not going to take up any more of your time, mate. I think I've used up the best part of an hour and I could just talk about this for hours. <laughs> I told you I'd only do an hour. So I'm going to wrap it up soon. Uh, it's been awesome chatting to you. I really appreciate uh, your time. I love what you're doing. I think all of these causes are super noble. And I feel like this sort of content will get people excited about just, just giving their own little projects uh, that extra little bit of love and maybe trying to bring them to fruition. I feel you have a very kind of well-polished accent action mindset. You kind of come up with an idea and you just move towards it. And uh, look, that's such a powerful thing. And if we instill that in the youth, which a lot of the things you're working on are doing, uh, that is a very noble cause indeed. So congratulations on all of your awesome stuff to date. And I'm going to start trying to battle test volley myself. I'm going to have a crack at that since I've got a month off. And uh, see if I can do give some services up and do something for the for the good side, not so much of the corporate world at the moment. <laughs> uh, that, sounds, that sounds good, Mike. We'd, uh, we'd love to have you on the platform. so much for listening to this episode of the Doing Epic Stuff podcast. For the latest Doing Epic Stuff happenings, you can find us at facebook.com forward slash doing epic stuff. Or for inquiries, you can contact me directly on mike at doingepicstuff.com. We out.